On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A thing that we're calling a 40 days of uh, relationships and uh, <clears throat> I hope you've, uh, you've been given uh, uh, some sermon notes. If you, if you find them useful, please, uh, please use them. If you don't find them useful, then uh, then don't use them. So we're in this thing called uh, 40 Days of, uh, of Relationships. And uh, the journey continues. And of course, today is day eight. Thank you. Somebody's, somebody's with me. Somebody's with me. At least, uh, at least one person uh, knows. Yeah, day eight of the, uh, of the daily readings. And as uh, Beryl mentioned, it's not too late to get a, uh, a book with the daily readings uh, in it. If, you want, if you've not got one and you'd like one. Uh, have a word with uh, Tom and he'll soon fix you up. Uh, there are seven sermons to listen to. You've already heard one of them. This is the second one in this series of seven sermons. There are those uh, 40, there's six small groups to attend and it's not too late to attend a small group. And there are 40 daily readings to read. And of course there are six memory verses to learn. Last week's was dead easy, wasn't it? So easy. Everyone knows it, don't they? It was... That's right. Let love be your highest goal. Yeah. 1 Corinthians. There's one. There's one. Yeah. 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 Last week, um, we, uh, we mentioned this. Uh, the fact that uh, from beginning to end, nothing is more important than relationships. In the beginning, God created you for relationships. He made you to relate to him and to others. Miss out on relationships and you're missing out on the core reason for which God put you on this planet. And that's what we're exploring during these 40 days. Our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. And uh, week one, it was all about uh, what matters most. What matters most. And of course, uh, there's the memory verse, let love be your highest goal. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. And uh, we said in what matters most, we said, if you don't live a life of love, uh, nothing I say will matter, uh, nothing I know will matter, nothing I believe will matter, and nothing I give will matter. This was based on 1 Corinthians uh, 13. And then we asked the question, you know, what is love? And we said that looking into the Bible, that love is a command, that uh, love is a choice, that love is a conduct, and that love is a commitment. So that was week one, and we were thinking all about the things that matters most, and we said loving God and loving other people is what matters most in life. And uh, this week, uh, we're continuing the journey. We're continuing the journey. It is day eight, but it's also the first day of the second week of this, uh, of this study. And the theme for this week is that love is kind. We're uh, working through 1 Corinthians 13, but looking at it through the eyes of Jesus. And we're thinking about the fact that love is kind. And the memory verse for this week is, Do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, verse 12. A bit more, a bit more to learn this week. Um, but it's worth trying to learn these memory verses off by heart. Uh, you know, challenge people in your house groups. Have you learned the memory verse? Uh, not to show people up, but to try and encourage people in memorizing scripture. So then, this week, uh, we are thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Didn't you love the way that the, uh, the children uh, told the story, the parable of Samaritan? Sometimes it's, it's worth just retelling the story in our own words. And it was lovely the way, the fact that they knew that story, uh, but the way that they interpreted it and the way that they told it, it gives, it, it gives a kind of freshness to a story that, that we are very familiar with. And we're using this story to explore uh, the fact that love is kind. We're thinking about the fact that love is kind. Uh, and this is a story that shows kindness in action. Last week we talked about the fact that love isn't a feeling, but it's something that you do, something that you choose to do, something that we are commanded to do, something that we are committed to do. And uh, it is a conduct. And with this week we're exploring the fact that, uh, that love is kindness in action. And uh, what we see in this story is free attitudes... To people who are in need. Three very different attitudes to people that are in need. And the first attitude we see with the first person that comes along and finds this person who's been beaten up. And uh, this attitude I'm, I'm calling keeping my distance. Keeping my distance. We read that... Uh, that a man was going down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Keeping my distance. This is a, a lifestyle of avoidance. Don't get too close to people. Don't get too involved, because if you do... Uh, the chances are you could get hurt too. You know, this was a dangerous place. The, the road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho was known uh, for its robbers. And uh, stopping to help somebody could get you involved in trouble as well. So the priest chooses not to get involved. There's lots of reasons why he didn't get involved. The man 
was half dead. The, the priest didn't know whether he was dead or not. And uh, uh, the strict uh, priest code said that he came, if you came into contact with a dead body, then you too would become unclean. There's all sorts of reasons that stopped the priest from helping this man. But the main reason was keeping his distance. And the question to ask is, you know, is that how we live our lives? Do we keep people at arm's length? Do we keep our distance? Do we see situations and think, I'm not going to get involved in here because this is going to cause me all sorts of trouble too? That's the first attitude, and it's not an attitude that we would encourage people to have. But we recognize that it's an attitude that a lot of people, that's how they live. They keep their distance. They close the doors, they draw the curtains, they don't get involved. They don't talk to their neighbours, they don't get involved in the, in the lives of people around them. They keep themselves safe and locked away. And that's how many people live in our society, keeping my distance. What about the second attitude? Second attitude, I'm, cur- I'm, cu- I'm calling curious but uninvolved. Curious but uninvolved. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. He sees the man, he actually comes to the place, but like the priest, he passes by on the other side. Curious, but uninvolved. And again, this is how, this is the world that we live in. Anybody ever had the experience when you're on the motorway and there's a big hold-up and you're stuck in your car and eventually you realise that the cause of the hold-up is nothing on your side, but it's an accident on the other side that everybody's slowing down to look at. How frustrating is that? But we are, we're curious, aren't we? Has anybody been hurt? Had a police there, was an ambulance there. We, we like to watch, but kind of watch from a distance. We're curious. We're curious about other people's lives. We love to hear, don't we, tickle-tackle about other people's lives. We like to hear stories about other people's problems. Have you ever noticed much hearing, much easier to talk about other people than it is to actually get involved and be, be part of the, the solution to somebody's problems? Curious but un- uninvolved is not an attitude that we want to encourage in people's lives. But there is a third and a good attitude. Treat others how I want to be treated which is the heart of what our memory verse for this week says. Treat others as I want to be treated. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity on him. Treat others as I want to be treated. This is something that um, the theologian Tom Wright writes about this. He says, the best known stories are sometimes the hardest to understand. The good Samaritan has passed into folklore and has succeeded confusingly in changing the word of Samaritan itself in modern English. There's a well-known organization called the Samaritans whose task is to give help to people in the direst of need. But that certainly wasn't what people would have meant by the word in Jesus' day. Pointing out what we were talking about with the children, that actually the Samaritan uh, was, if, if you'd have talked to Jewish people about Samaritans, they would have been the villains. They would have been the bad guys. The priest and the Levite and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would have been the good guys. And Jesus, as he so often does, he turns things on their heads. 
He turns our world upside down. And he tells a story where the people who they thought were the bad guys become the good guys. And why does the Samaritan get the word good in front of him? Because of what he does. Because of the kindness and compassion that he shows. And I'd like to think of, uh, of uh, we've looked at free attitudes towards people in need. And I want to look at the, what the uh, Good Samaritan did. And four things that the Good Samaritan did. Four things that the Good Samaritan did that you and I need to do if we're going to be kind and compassionate and loving people. Four things. The first thing is this. See the needs of the people around me. Start seeing the needs of the people around me. Kindness always begins with our eyes. We have to see the need in other people. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Two people had already passed and two people had already seen that there was somebody in need. But they didn't stop. We start being kind and loving by seeing the needs of the people around me. And it starts here within the church. You know, there are people sat in this church, maybe even sat on your row. You know, people that are broken. People that are hurting. People that are longing for somebody just to see their situation. It's so easy, isn't it? Um... To see but to not really see. To notice but not really to get involved. If we want to be compassionate and kind, we have to see the needs of the people around us. We have to see what's going on in people's lives. And of course, to do that, um, we have to stop. We We have to slow down. We have to be prepared uh, to be interrupted. Very often... Uh, the needs of people around us will present themselves at the most inconvenient times. When you are busy, when you're rushing here or there, when you've got lots of things to do. People very often turn up on my doorstep at the most inconvenient time and I've had to try and train myself to be available. And I say to you now, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I never mind being interrupted. I never minded being interrupted. I don't want to put a picture of a, of a, of a busy pastor that's, that's so busy rushing here and there that he ends up being by, like the priest and the Levite that he actually wanders past people in great need. That's not the picture of a pastor that I want you to have. I am available. You can come and knock on my door. You can ring me. You can text me. You can Facebook me. You can interrupt me. You have my permission. Okay. I might seem a bit agitated, that's just me, that's me being, being human, but I don't mind being interrupted. Because people matter. People matter. Seeing the needs of the people around me, it means being prepared to be interrupted. Being prepared to change our schedules and tasks to fit other people in. Because people really matter to God, and so people should really matter to us. Seeing the needs, that's the first thing the Samaritan does. Sympathises with people's pain. We need to sympathise with people's pain. If you want to care, then you need to be aware. 
If you want to care, then you need to be aware. It's not enough just to see somebody's needs. You need to sympathize with their pain. The, uh, the, the good Samaritan, when he saw him, it says, he took pity on him. Something in his heart was stirred by the man's situation. He had compassion. And it meant putting himself in a vulnerable position. Helping somebody else. Whenever we help somebody, we make ourselves vulnerable. When we get involved in other people's pains, who knows what sort of pains it might unlock in us. Things that maybe we've, we've hidden away and not dealt with. It's messy when you start getting involved with other people's lives. And if we're going to sympathize with people's pain, we have to understand something of that pain. There's many people here this morning and in our church who have been through painful situations. And we can use those painful situations to help other people when they experience painful situations. We can sympathize with their pain because maybe we've experienced some of that pain ourselves. And maybe we've found a way to to deal with it. Maybe we've found a way that God has helped us in our pain. The Samaritan sympathizes with the person's pain. He gets involved. He takes a risk. And he helps the person. So the second thing the good Samaritan does is he sympathizes. And if we're going to sympathize with people, one of the things we have to do is not only use our eyes... We need to use our ears. How many times have you, have you had somebody who's come along maybe to help you and uh, all they've done is, is given you lots of advice and they've, they've, they've come up with a solution to your problem and they've done nothing but speak to you and they've not really stopped and listened to you. And when they've gone away, you're thinking, well, yeah, they've given me, they've given me some, some hints and clues about what I could do, but they've not really listened They've not really heard my pain. They've not really entered into my suffering. They've just given me a quick, snap, fix-it answer to my solution and then gone away. We need to, you know, God has given us two ears and one mouth. And there's a clue in that, that we're supposed to use our ears to listen. And sometimes we just need to close our mouths and we just need to listen. And there's lots of people, there'll be people here this morning, who long... For someone just to listen to them. Just to hear their story. And there's even more people outside who've got no one to tell their story to. Who haven't got friends who will listen to their situation. So if we're going to sympathise with people and understand it, we need to first of all listen and let them tell their story and resist the temptation to jump in with our wonderful, wise advice. We might have it, but just spend some time listening before we jump in, if we're really going to sympathize. In, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 4, Paul says, He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. I wonder how sympathetic you are as a person. You know, if you were to rate yourself on a scale one of 1 to 10, you know, how highly would you mark yourself on the area of being sympathetic to the needs of others. That's the second thing. He shows sympathy. The third thing is that he seizes the moment. He seizes the moment. You see, 
We do live in a very busy world, don't we? We're all busy people. We've all got a a, a to-do list that's so long, half of it never gets done. And the danger is, a a lot of people's needs, we think... I will, I will write to that person, I will phone that person, I'll text that person, I'll go and see that person um, next week, next month, when things are a little bit quieter. And we tend to delay helping people. It's not that we don't intend to help them, it's just that we, life gets so busy that we never actually get around to doing sometimes the things that we really ought to be doing. And what the Good Samaritan does is he sees the moment. He's there in that moment. And he does what he, what he can. He does what he can. Sometimes we're overwhelmed, aren't we, by the problems in the world. You know, we look at situations and we're overwhelmed. God only asks us to do what we can do. He doesn't ask us to solve all the problems in the world. He just asks us to do what we can do. Where we are amongst the people that God places us amongst. And this week, you know, there will be opportunities to minister to people. There will be opportunities to sympathise with people if you seize the moment, if you recognise the moment. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've had lots of situations where I know that at the end of the day that I've missed opportunities. It's a horrible feeling. You know that you, you, you've missed an opportunity to help somebody, maybe because you were too busy, you were rushing here, rushing there, and you know that you've, you've, you've passed by somebody that you could have helped. We all do it. We all do it. But the challenge is to recognise the moment where we can actually have an impact and help somebody's life. Seize the moment. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Seizes the moment to take care of the man, putting him on his own donkey. And then... Fourth thing he does, spend whatever it takes. The treasurer won't like this bit. Uh, Spend whatever it takes. There is a cost involved in helping people. There is a cost. Uh, We read that uh, the, the next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Spend whatever it takes. This probably wasn't in our budget last night. Um, But there's a cost involved in helping people. Sometimes it's a financial cost. Sometimes it's a cost of time. You know, the the, the man bandaged the guy that was on on the roadside. It wasn't that he had a first aid kit with him. It probably meant he took his own shirt off and made bandage from his own clothes. He puts him on his donkey so he has to walk. And then he gives the innkeeper two silver coins and says, whatever it takes, I'll reimburse you. There is a cost involved in in stopping and helping people. And we've got to be prepared to spend whatever it takes. There's a sense in which, you know, most of us at heart are, are quite stingy. And that shows itself in the life of the church, doesn't it, often. You know, we can have this kind of stingy mentality. We live in hard times, don't get me wrong. And I know that we live in, in, in times of, you know, you know great uh, uncertainty and financial difficulty. Don't get me wrong. 
But sometimes we need to, to demonstrate God's extravagant love. God didn't hold anything back from us. He gave his one and only son. It cost God everything. It cost God everything to love us. And if we think we can love people without there being a cost, then we're fooling ourselves. Spend whatever it takes. Be extravagant. Why don't this week you do something extravagant? You know, buy somebody a cup of coffee. Have you seen that advert? I can't remember what it's for. Have you seen the advert where, where you know, somebody's in a supermarket and an apple falls out of the bag and, and the lady gives her an apple and then they, 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 the kindness kind of ripple effects and it ends up with, the, with them buying a, the, the guy in the car park a cup of coffee. You know, something as simple as that. Spend whatever it takes. You know, bless people. See who you can bless this week. See who you can bless this week. Spend whatever it takes. I love the fact that uh, Fred Cradshaw in his book on Luke reminds us, remember that this man who delayed his journey, expended great energy, risked danger to himself, spent two days' wages with the assurance of more, was ceremonially unclean, socially an outcast, and religiously a heretic. That is a profile not easily matched. I like that. Nobody thought the Samaritans were any good until Jesus told this story. And now, as Tom Wright pointed out earlier, we have organizations called the Samaritans that are known for the fact that they help people. All because of this story that Jesus told about a good Samaritan. You see how that ripple effect has gone through history. Stories of Jesus change people's lives for good. That's why we need to keep telling the stories of Jesus. That's why we want our children to learn the stories of Jesus. We want our children to be able to tell the story of the Good Samaritan because it affects people's lives. It is a living word that is alive and brings life. Spend whatever it takes as we show kindness and as we try to help people. Which of the three do you think was the neighbor to the man who was robbed? That's how Jesus ends the story. Which of the three was the neighbor? And it was so hard, you know, for the, for the teacher of the law to admit that the hero of the story, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, he says the one that showed mercy. We know, don't we? who the heroes are and who the villains are. The man who helped, the man who showed mercy, he was the hero of the story. And the challenge for us today is to be heroes. To be heroes in our local community. To be heroes in our local neighbourhood. To be known as a people who are wanting to help. Who are wanting to go the extra mile who will spend whatever it takes in time, in money, in resources to help others. Wouldn't it be great if Lum Baptist Church was known as a place where you could go to if you were in need of help? Wouldn't it be great if you were down on your luck and you thought, I know there's a bunch of people I can go to who will offer help and they're at that place, Lum Baptist Church. Wouldn't that be great if that was what people thought about Lum Baptist Church? that it was a place where they could find help. Again, Tom Wright, uh, speaking about this parable, he says, what is at stake then and now is the question of whether we will use 
the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and a challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. goes on to say, no church, no Christian can remain content with easy definitions which allow us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the, world, in the road. Today's preachers and today's defenders of the gospel must find fresh ways of telling the story of God's love, which will do for our day what this brilliant parable did for Jesus' first hearers. This parable, what it did for Jesus' first hearers, was it turned their world upside down. And the challenge for us is that we need to turn our world upside down. So we need to be doing these four things that the Samaritan did. We need to see the needs of the people around us. We need to see people who are in pain. And when we see them, we need to sympathize with people's pain. We need to get involved, whatever that uh, takes. We need to seize the moment. Moments will come and moments will go, and we will miss many moments. But recognize the moment this week when you have the opportunity to, to meet somebody's need. And then spend whatever it takes. Don't be selfish. Don't hold back. Because God doesn't hold back. He extended the whole of his love in Jesus Christ. And he continues to give us everything that we need in Christ Jesus.